Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. Joining me today is Beth Mantle, Dave Clark, and Mickey Turner. Uh, say hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. See, Uh, so if I apologize in advance, in case uh, you hear lots of laughter and silliness in the background, I am at home with kids. And uh, that's the that's the shakes. I I don't have my my office right now. So uh, this is this is pandemic life still that we're in. So hopefully everyone can can relate. It makes us more relatable, I think. Right. Yeah. Everyone's shaking their head saying, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we're coming out of what I think was probably the most fun Sounders game of the season. Certainly, I would say the most fun game at Lumen Field. Uh, I, I suppose you could make an argument that the most fun game was that 6-2 win in Portland. But this was one of the games, like I was saying, after the San Jose game was at no point was that game did that did the result really feel like it was seriously in doubt. Like they scored first, they scored second, they scored third. Again, same thing this time, except for this time they're up three zero at halftime and Didn't they were they cruising. technically also score fourth. They did. They also did technically score fourth and uh VAR criminally took that goal away. I was talking about this with Ari Lillian Wall on Twitter and he was saying like there should be a sliding scale of what VAR can take away and there's a certain amount of sickness or coolness or whatever uh thing the kids are saying hypiness are none of these are words that kids use anymore i don't think anyone has ever said hypiness no i agree uh but there there should be a sliding scale of like how awesome a goal is that if it's a certain level of awesomeness like the bar for taking it off the board needs to be higher like that seems reasonable doesn't it strongly agree and that was an awesome goal it was like i said i wrote in a column today that it was marco papa-esque uh, one of the things I loved about it, especially, was that he touches the ball five times, I think, from uh, controlling the ball to shooting it. And the only time he touches it with his right foot is to control the pass. Every other touch is with his left. And that's while zigzagging his way through defense defenders. It was glorious. Absolutely glorious. He uses both sides of his boot and, like, the laces, too. Like, yes. He had a... He had an outside boot touch, an inside boot yeah. touch, not with the top of the lid. I'm like, uh, you, you start to focus on replay. You can focus on those kinds of things. And I'm just like, wait. Because when you pointed out that it was all left touches after the initial uh, control. It's like, I'm how? Like, but <laughs> how? Because he cuts in. Oh, okay. Yeah. Outside of the foot. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was a damn shame, I think, is the right way to put it. And it was one of those hands on heads kind of thing when you're in the press box and you're just like, you can't believe what you saw. And of course it came on the heels. Like it was like right out of halftime. 
and into halftime, of course, so one of the last things that happens before halftime is, and I don't, I say this with no hyperbole. I think it was the most amazing goal I've seen in person. It was like, and I saw Obafemi Martin's amazing chip. I've seen some amazing goals, most of them in 2014, most of them involving either Clint Dempsey or Obafemi Martin's. And I'll put that Jao Paulo goal right up there and maybe on top of all of them. It was an absolute majestical thing of beauty, of power, of speed, of just every, of will, of just like every kind of thing you can come up with. It was an amazing thing. It was electric. There was, it just had the, I can only imagine what it would have felt like with 60,000 people there, but like the stadium was absolutely buzzing. I was buzzing. Yeah, it was definitely up there for me as well. And I was uh, down in Portland for the Madranda, you know, the howitzer, um, this one, you know, doesn't have maybe the technical precision of Madranda's goal right. or uh, Giappaolo's uh, volley to start the year. But as you said, it, I think it had kind of the will to persevere through a bunch of challenges, showing some, you know, strength, speed, and some technical ability, nutmegging, uh, I think it was Rosenberry. I could be off on that. Um, Danny Wilson, I think. Uh, it was Wilson that he uh, nutmegged to kind of open him, um, release himself there and yeah so it was like you you know i think you're just kind of stunned into silence and you're not that we're allowed to cheer or applaud in the press box anyway but i think in that situation you know just watching it everyone was just kind of stunned um at at what they had just seen and yeah it was it was definitely a thing of beauty and you know i would definitely put it up there in the top three that i've seen in person uh and it's a high bar to set even this year between his yeah. you know, earlier goal and Madranda's uh, Madranda. So, yeah, pretty amazing. And I think the part of the sign of, of, of how amazing it was, was the faces on the, uh, the Rapids bench players who were warming <laughs> up right behind the goal. Yeah. Um, and then they're in the background of Jao Paulo celebrating and it like, they're, they're not even heartbroken. They're more just in Stunt. awe. Right. Yeah. And, and to me, that's when, like, when you take, when you put other professional athletes in awe of what they just saw, um, that's when you know that uh, the moment was truly special because the, you know you didn't get like surrender cobras or that kind of thing. The game, the game was what the game was at that point. Instead, you just got players that were uh, shocked. Like, how did I just see that? That's that, that's impossible. Yeah, he kind of re- reached into the collective soul of the rapids and ripped it out and like kind of temple of doom-esque showed the beating heart uh it was like that kind of moment where he just really took apart the rapids defense and it was at that point i would say and i hope these sound effects are coming through uh in my background but just reenacting the goal and the celebration (laughs) that's what's happening back there exactly it's actually well timed uh but it was just, you know, it was at that point, it was impossible to imagine. I mean, granted, the Sounders were up 3-0 at halftime. Hard to imagine them blowing that lead anyway. But it was like, for me, just at that point, the game's over. Uh, and and it felt like Madranda's goal was just a sort of continuation of that. of like, oh, no, the Sounders are going to just do whatever they want today. And you had Freddie Montero doing Rabonas. And all this stuff was going on. And that's not even, like, they started this game second minute. Jimmy Madranda causes a, a deflects a, a back pass. Will Bruin picks it up, sets it up for Christian Roldan. He scores. And then they're just off to the races from that point on. Uh, you know, it wasn't a perfect game for the Sounders. They, there was some lapses defensively. You know, we saw uh, Nuhu get a ball taken off of him. Xavi uh, comes in and, and makes a great play on that one to save it. 
uh, earlier in the game, Jamar made a bad back pass. And uh, I don't know who it was, but they beat Stephen Fry. Xavi, of course, is there to clear it off the line. Uh, Xavi Ariaga is having an absolute spectacular second half of the season. I don't know that people are completely recognizing how good he's been. He has been, I think, the Sounders' best defender for at least uh, at least the, the all-star break forward. He, he's been spectacular. Welcome yeah. to the Javi Hive, Germany. Huh? Welcome to the Javi Hive, Germany. Yes, yes. No, the Shavi Shive. The, <laughs> the great things about uh, Seattle's three-back line is the first two months of the season, knew who was the best defender in the league. Months yeah. four and five of the season, uh, Yamar was the best defender in the league. And yes. now we're entering the, the tail end of the year, and uh, Javi Arriaga looks like the best defender in the league. And uh, none of them will win defender of the year. Because no, of course not. They've been partnered with, um, depending because of new who's playing and heck, Yamar's playing time issues at the beginning of the year. Because of those playing time issues, none of them are going to win Defender of the Year. And um, at the end of the season, if you listed out the top six center backs of the year, all three of them belong. Yeah, I think you could make a case that you could, that all any three of them could win Defender of the Year. I'm sure you can make a statistical case, frankly, that any three of them could win defender of the year. I think they've all had extended periods where they were to me, the best defender in the league. Uh, And they've had mistakes. All of them have made mistakes. They're not perfect defenders, but man, their ceiling is so high. Like all three of them have shown an absolutely spectacular ceiling. It's been really fun to watch. I've taken a lot of satisfaction out of Javi uh, in particular because he was so maligned. And I feel like there was a, I'll say Beth was right up there with the early fans of his have been defending him. And, but there's been a lot of people that haven't been a believer in, in what the, the uh, risk reward is with him. And I think we're seeing it right now. He's sort of putting it all together and he's, he's playing as well as, as we've really seen him play. And I, I suppose you could maybe go all the way back to the Columbus crew game when he had that, uh, when he had the equalizer late in that one. And that seems to have kind of like driven him forward. Yeah. uh, I think, you know, his mistakes have gotten highlighted because they've been kind of him out on an island. Yeah. And that kind of magnifies things as opposed to just getting beat on, you know, here and there as, as every defender will on occasion. Um, but he's been, you know, there's a reason that they trust him out of the back, you know, to kind of start their attacks because he's good with the ball at his feet. He's got, he's, he's a good passer. And uh, he's shown a physical side. Uh, we can all remember the, the 2019 performance he put in in the championship, uh, Western Conference championship game, basically shutting, shutting down Vela. Um, and, yeah, I think it's just some of the things that uh, he struggled through a little bit early, adjusting to MLS, people have not let go of, um, which is annoying. Um, I, you know, it's at this point, you've got to basically say kind of get over it. Uh, you know, he's, he's not a perfect defender, as you said. Um, and every defender's, uh, you know, save like prime Chad Marshall is going to have those particular games where, you know, things don't, uh, go their way, but he, the upside, as you say to, to him and to the back three, I think we saw it a little bit earlier in the year, uh, when they were obviously on the undefeated streak and they weren't giving up goals from the run of play. And the fact that they, uh, you know, had injuries and playing time issues uh, means that they weren't really able to come together um, until now, essentially. So we got a taste of it at the beginning of the year and we're finally seeing them all come back into form, which is obviously bodes very well for uh, the Sounders when they uh, start to make the playoff push. Uh, Cause I think, I think they can clinch with a victory um, and very minimal help otherwise. Uh, 
you know, this coming week against Vancouver. So yeah, uh, obviously a good time to see, uh, see them kind of putting it together. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into this a little bit more. We're, we're planning on talking a little bit about the Vancouver game, but they can't, they can definitely clinch with a win against Vancouver. Uh, someone as James Woolard, who's the, the announcer actually asked if they had already clinched because there, uh, there's a sports club stats and put out a, puts out their table that implied that they had already clinched and they technically have not They're They've probably statistically, it's very unlikely that they won't get in at this point. It's almost impossible that they won't get in at this point, but there is uh, some very far fetched permutations of the rest of the season that could keep the Sounders out theoretically. Like uh, seven straight losses with se- negative four give goal differential in basically every game would put them in danger of missing. Correct. <laughs> something like almost like something. Yeah. It's almost that it's almost that extreme. Uh, but yeah, it does like one of the, I'll just, without getting into all of it, the, the key thing to keep in mind is that it would require them to have a 28 goal swing between themselves and, uh, and the gallery. Well, so that's not going to happen. They're <laughs> not going to have that kind of swing. It's uh, so you can start booking your playoff tickets and, and every, basically every point they earn from this point on, is is the increasing chance of hosting playoff games which is is what we all want in in november is is to host those games because uh it, it's more fun to be outside in the rain uh than it is inside in crowds these days well and i and i'll say that if you are this kind of if you're a superstitious person close your ears but if you aren't i will just say that if the Sounders win the West, there is a very high probability that they will be playing on Thanksgiving. So just get yourself mentally prepared for that possibility. Give yourself plenty of time to wrap your mind around that. Don't start. I'm not telling you to make your plans around it yet or anything, but that's, I'm just letting everyone putting it out there that that is a possibility. Uh, But uh, going back to the game on this one, I will throw another player in there for defender of the year who can't win it. He's, ineligible for it i think he's ineligible for it but uh joe paolo has been is another player who probably deserves some consideration if not defender of the year at least at least for mvp uh (laughs) he has now he's at three goals and and nine assists on the season which are not in themselves mvp numbers but they are I think compelling when you combine them with his defensive attributes as well. And, you know, you can go through mid he's as good as any defensive midfielder in the league right now. And he had an absolutely monster game, even outside of the goal, the assists that he had on the broadcast, they said that it looked like an accident. Like he missed his shot. Watch the replay hundred percent. That's a pass. There's no doubt in my mind. It's outside of the boot. He knows exactly what he's doing. Now. I don't know that he knows that Jimmy Madranda is, 10 steps behind he's pretty far behind but i think he knows that there's open space there and he's basically hoping that madranda is going in to close it down yeah i made the pitch for him as mvp on uh on uh, mls's power ranking show um he is not going to win it uh if for no other reason then he just hasn't gotten the hype that some of the other you know, we have to change that with. that's what I this is about we got to change campaign. yes yeah 
he, he certainly is deserving of more than a passing mention uh, based on everything you just talked about. Um, his, you know, again, his goals scored aren't a flashy stat, um, even though he's contributed some uh, some well-timed goals, obviously. Um, but everything he does defensively, he's certainly been the most important player to the Sounders, I think. Um, just they, what they do doesn't work without him on the field. Um, they haven't had uh, Ladero, obviously, for any essentially the entire year you know he uh, he certainly hasn't been himself for uh this entire year for when he did play and you can just see what he he brings to the team and uh just his defensive work rate his passing um his his grit and then obviously what he does uh chips in um with goals and assists so he's he certainly deserves it i expect he'll he'll get some a little bit more shine here down the end especially if the sounders keep up their good run uh but it's a shame that he's not getting uh, a little bit more uh, uh, mentioned because he's put the rain on the, the, the parade, uh, like some reality. On, uh, I mean, Absolutely his numbers not. are nowhere clear to, to Gill or to Saloy. Um, well, no, and- I wouldn't, I, I'll push back on that a little bit. Uh, Daniel Shalloway, you know, his numbers are, are obviously very good. But Carlos Heel, his numbers are are definitely propped up by secondary assists. Like if you just look at his primary goals, and he's got three goals and ten ass- primary assists, and that's not so different than Joao Paulo, who's at three goals and eight assists. Now his xG is much higher, his chances created are much higher. There are definitely some compelling offensive stats that make Carlos Heel's numbers look better. But I think I I mean I'm I'm not saying this to be I'll a homer I- or to be hyperbolic. I I think that the defensive numbers that Joe Paolo has put up have to be considered in this in this equation sure and, and my current vote would be for the sporting KC kid not for Gill because when Gill was gone for a month New England didn't fall off at all um and I think that what uh Daniel Fellow has been doing is, is just better but to, to continue raining on the parade the last time a um six or an eight got si- significant um, MVP support was the only time a six or an eight got significant MVP support with Shalry Joseph with seven goals and seven assists. Um, this is a league where defensive mids usually don't even make the best 11, let alone <laughs> an MVP. So um, yeah, don't, don't put any money on that. He'll probably finish fifth and people will be very like, if he finishes fifth and Jao Paulo finishes fifth in MVP voting, that's really good. But yeah. You can also make cases for several of, of his teammates that they've also been MVP quality. I think Raul Ruiz Diaz, particularly when he was on his hot streak up until like three weeks ago, um, he still might get the golden boot on a team that's probably going to win the Western Conference. Um, yeah. Yeah, traditional that, voters are going to lean towards that. Uh, and then the three defender of the year quality players and the guy who could be keeper of the year if he didn't miss half the season as well. So I think part of what's going to hurt Seattle is that, uh, and Jao Paulo for his MVP votes, uh, is that like the number two guy on Sporting KC is, uh, I, I don't even know. Like we've yeah. all watched Sporting KC games; they don't have a number two. There are number twos and threes on on New England, uh, and Jao Paulo. There's like eight other guys that are well. There were five other All Star cal- caliber players, and they're eight other guys that should be in best 11 conversations. So that's going to ding against him. Uh, I Heck, last year we saw what happened with Nico and, and Jordan. Both had extraordinary seasons, and that's why neither of them were MVP. And, I guess and if I, none of our players are going to get the accolades that they deserve, we'll just have to win MLS Cup. Yeah. Maybe that's that'll a, balance it out. That, I think that would sort of balance things out. 
uh, yeah, and and we haven't talked about Christian Roldan, who is now scored in four straight games. He was already getting some sort of like insider hype for MVP early in the season because he's been so influential, even though he hasn't necessarily been putting up huge numbers. But he's now scoring and he's he's getting involved in in a fair amount of uh, goals. Uh, the stat I, I I was kind of amazed when I when I found this stat. He's something like twenty four three and one or something. He's got some outrageous record this year for club and country. Uh, I, I would have, I, I'm misquoting my own stat, I believe, but, or maybe it's 24. Uh, you had a total of 34 games. Yeah. 24, three and well. eight, maybe. No, that there can't we go. be right. Something Four, like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's just an amazing, I mean, it's, it's something like 79 points. I want to say that he's, he's collected in games that he's played, which is, an absolutely kind of like mind-blowing stat when you think about it, because it is over the course of 34 games. It's for club and country. It's it's a gr- across uh, multiple competitions, including Leagues Cup, which was, you know, obviously against Liga Mackey's teams, MLS, whatever. You can kind of go through. And and I guess it just underscores that this Sounders team is is really deep. It's been it, it's it's been really an amazing thing to watch this year. And I and I think that it was nice to get a game like this because for all their success, they haven't had a lot of games that were just sort of celebrations like that. And especially at, at home where they've, they've really struggled to get results, uh, all things considered. And so this game was just, it was cathartic. I thought in a lot of ways, especially that it came against a rapids team that had been charging up the standings. And I don't know, Beth, are they good? No, the rapids are not good. Every year since like 2016, I have been told that the Colorado Rapids are actually good this year. And you know what? Every year it's wrong. The Colorado Colorado Rapids are never good. Like, how am I still being sold this story that they're finally a good team? We beat them three nothing in the first half. You could have played 45 minutes of soccer and beat them three nothing. That's not a good team. Well, they seem to tease a little bit, um, and which is kind of a microcosm for what that game was, because they had their opportunities in various uh, phases of the game to score, not to necessarily win, but they certainly had their chances to score. But they don't they lack that that high quality finisher or, you know, mid you know, DP uh, Ladero, prime Ladero, Rudy Diaz, one of those types of guys who is either going to find them a goal uh, out of nothing or is just going to finish the chances that are created. And they don't have that, um, which means they're an incomplete team. Um, they're certainly dangerous, uh, but not quite up to the level of the Sounders. Um, and you know that's why they're not going to win MLS Cup, particularly if they can't get home games and they have to go on the road. If Sporting KC is defined by having one extraordinary player and the Seattle Sounders are defined by having like nine very good to great players. The Colorado Rapids are the exact opposite. They're just a team that plays well together. And they're going to be somewhere between second and fourth in the West. But there's like nobody on them where you're like, well, he'd start over a Seattle player. They're just doing it. They're they're performing well on the season, but they're not, there's no like, oh, it's that guy. That, uh, there's no reason. Like, there's no specific player where you're like, that's the one. That's why they're succeeding. They do have one player, though, who is just a guy. Uh, Beth, can you tell us a little bit more about your just a guy theory? 
Yeah, my just a guy theory is that every MLS team has at least one player that if you saw him outside of MLS, you would not know that he was a professional athlete and he is in fact just some guy. Um, and for the Colorado Rapids, that is Jack Price. Um, he's the epitome of 2012 millennial hipster core. And he simply is just that guy that you would run into at Whole Foods. Um, and we've, we've theorized that the just a guy for the Sounders is Joao Paulo. How do we feel about that, everybody? Is it well, JP? I, I think it might be. And I, and I will say Tim's not here to make the case, but he made a very compelling case. Like if he showed up to your house to like install your faucet or whatever, you would not think twice as to thinking like, oh, this like his style. Because it'd be especially... jorts and a hoodie. Right, exactly. <laughs> the jorts wearing... would really sell it. Right, the jorts and a hoodie. And what was funny is that we were actually discussing this. We were very serious people in the press box. We were probably discussing this like 15 minutes before he went on that epic run. And truly an amazing goal for just some guy they found on the right. street before. <laughs> right. I, exactly. Amazing. Beth might hate this, but I, I actually think the the Broldons might be just guys. Absolutely I don't not. know. Absolutely not. They're like chiseled. They're like models. I would say Zhao Paulo's awesome, but yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> I, they're, they're also not. They're they're also like wearing like stylish clothes, and they're like well put together. I, I, that one. I think there's a picture of Alex Rodon wearing polka dot socks. So like, I don't right. think you can consider him just some guy. I know, I know. That's you got to have you got to have a you got to have an air about you. That's the thing about Zhao Paulo is he doesn't carry himself in this kind of uh godlike air that he actually is uh while we're talking about fashion specifically jorts well we're moving away from jorts we're moving into javi's bear sweater oh yeah up to the match wearing a nice knit sweater that had a very dapper teddy bear on the front and i think that was really foreshadowing for both how he was going to play and how good of a game will bruin had it was will all due to the bear sweater yeah will will bruin you talked about this a bit in your, your column, Mickey, but he had, I, I think you could make an argument that he was maybe the game's most influential player, like, which is crazy to th say that we've been talking for like a half an hour now and we haven't even mentioned, barely mentioned Will Bruin's name, but he was, in, he was very influential on three of the four goals, we'll say. And he was actually the one guy that made the run on the, four, on the Jao Paulo goal, the one sounder that was maybe there for, for help. And he didn't have to take a single shot in the game, and yet he was out there hugely influential. I, I don't know if this was his best game, but it was really, I think, it underscored how useful of a player he is, even when he's not scoring goals. Yeah, he's definitely it, – it's tough to, to kind of put in, put in context what he's been this year because he's been a few different things um, when the Sounders have needed him. Um, you know, he's obviously done the hold up job very well. Uh, they had him running out on the wings a little bit. Uh, he's been a bit of a passer as well. And it's just, it's just an interesting, you know, uh, transition for him. I know that's obviously not what he wants to be doing. He wants to be scoring goals because he is a forward at heart and that's what forwards want to do. Um, and hopefully he gets a couple of additional oppor opportunities. He's obviously going to get a start here against Vancouver on the weekend. Um, but it's just, 
very impressive that he's, you know, even though he's not being able to score, he's been able to influence the game in other ways. And, you know, I, you know, I think he's going to have a role to play as a scorer down the stretch. Uh, and hopefully he's able to get what he deserves because he certainly deserves, you know, another handful of goals uh, before the season ends. Both Christian and Will, no, Christian and Brian said about Will after the match that people need to be talking about him more. So I think we're doing the Lord's work in talking about Will Bruin right now. And you could see a little bit of frustration on him late in the second half where they're up a man and there are a few passes that were like two yards out of his touch radius and that he's like trying to run on to, to, to get that moment. There was um, an offside call, if I remember correctly, where he might've been like a quarter of a foot offside. And that was all and you could just see how dejected he was because um that was particularly when you're up a goal or up three goals and a man um a forward looks at that as the opportunity to pile up those stats and for some reason that that second half uh, there were just so many balls that were near him but that he couldn't influence that um like there's an alternate reality um you know a what-if scenario where will bruin finishes a second half hat trick and that game six nothing just because um there were some long balls that that put him on great runs but just were a fraction off and i think uh um will deserve some of that joy at some point because uh, here he is working his ass off all year uh kind of in the hato valdez uh mold yeah. um and it, it's it's uh it's interesting to see you know we've got four of the top 50 active goal scorers in MLS on this roster. Uh, one of them might come back here in a couple of weeks. And then Will Bruin, uh, who's one of the best scorers in the history of the league, sitting with just a goal. Um, so it's, it's... Don't take them away. You got two goals. <laughs> Sorry, Will. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting to see, you know, so many goal scoring threats uh, on the team. And yet, really the offense has been uh, outside of Raul has really just been distributed rather than um, having kind of a secondary and a tertiary that are, that are real threats. Um, it's kind of odd. It is, it is. That's a part, obviously partially because they just haven't been together uh, to kind of, you oh. know, uh, really formulate a, a coherent attack over the entire course of the season, because we all remember they started out in the 3-5-2 or 5-3-2 or whatever you want to call it. And then they basically had to abandon that when they went to the and when they had the injury crisis and have been were running this kind of box or house formation. Um, so we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see what they kind of run to when they get all of these guys back, um, as it looks like um, at least Jordan Morris is, is close to a, a bench role at least. Um, if not a starting role uh, here at the end of the season. So they're going to have a bunch of, and then obviously Leo Chu, who's been, you know, shown a couple of snippets, but um, obviously still getting integrated. Um, I have been impressed with his work rate, just as a quick aside, um, especially on defense, he's been tracking back. So that's, I think that's been a pleasant surprise for him, but he's still getting kind of integrated offensively. And you can see he's kind of tentative at some spots, um, maybe passing up some chances to score when he um when he could so we'll see how they they kind of you know work this all together they've now got you know they got seven or eight games um assuming they all get healthy again here at the end knock on wood um to you know to kind of really put their uh their attack together yeah i thought the leo chu was an interesting player in this last game he 
had probably four or five moments where it looked like he, you know, was about to be involved in some sort of goal scoring sequence. I've heard people say, at least in the Sounder Heart comments thread, that they didn't think he was as fast as they imagined him to be. I don't know what people were expecting, but he looks fast to me. Like he looks very fast. He looks very quick. He looks like he, um, in fact, I, I would say that he sometimes moves too fast. Uh, yes. Like he, like he, he almost seems to get ahead of himself sometimes, but him and Will looked like they were kind of combined. Like it didn't quite come off, but there were a bunch of moments there where it looked like he could have, you know, like you said, like he could have scored or he could have set up a goal from, for uh, someone else. I was, I've been encouraged by what I've seen from him. I'm, I'm really intrigued by what uh, he has to offer. I don't know how big of a role he's going to play, but I'm, you know, it is interesting. A couple of weeks ago, there was some understandable concern about the state of their offense. They hadn't, they'd only scored more than uh, one goal in a game three times out of 13, I think is what, what it was. Uh, but they now have scored uh, 10 goals in their last four. They've got uh, at least two in each of those. They've scored three in their last two, uh, each in their last two. This offense now is looking very potent and I think is probably more indicative of what we can expect going forward just because it doesn't look like they're playing out of their minds. I mean, take the Xiao Paulo goal aside. Uh, this is a, a team that has a lot of talented players that, that seem to be starting to click at the exact right time. Uh, I'm excited about this team. I'm really, I really am. I, I think that they have, you know, I, I'll take their chances with just about anyone. Yeah. And what's really fun about the offense too, is uh, obviously Raul can do what Raul does whenever um, is they have several players that can use diff- similar routes. Like, Christian and Xiao Paulo can do it with secondary runs or primary runs from 60 yards out. Um, you also, you have some great crosses, crossing ability, I think has really been apparent from Timmy Madranda who can be that, that rifleman from long distance. And then Chu and Nico too, both had some verticality to the, the situation because they both like to do those long, long runs, big angles, trying to capture empty space. Um, they both seem similar in that. I, I actually think that they're probably the two most similar players on the team. And it'll be interesting if we ever see both of them because that'll stretch things wide. And then you've got Freddie Montero. Just uh, I, I think what he's been doing in the attack is uh, like a flare move every other touch now, um, just trying to do the the exceptional. And uh, frankly, if you're up two goals, why not? Like, <laughs> start joyriding um, but it, it, there's just uh, they just have so many interchangeable parts who can contribute to different styles of attack and then um the way that those all integrate together is uh, sure you can stop raul from getting two goals in a game uh but then you're gonna have to deal you know with the possession game or a crossing game or this vertical um game and they they have different players who bring those aspects yeah, it's going to make them much less predictable uh, coming down the stretch, which is, I think, some of what kind of ailed them when they were struggling during the summer. They just didn't have a lot of, you know, options besides uh, Raul. Um, and so, you know, getting these guys healthy and being able to switch things up if they need to, depending on the opponent or game state, um, having the pieces there to affect those changes is going to be, you know, inv- invaluable down the stretch. And the first game they're going to be tested by uh, is coming up, on Saturday, this was a game that was originally scheduled for, I want to say September 20, no, September 16th, something like that. Uh, and it was supposed to, but it got moved because of League's Cup play. 
Uh, it got moved to Saturday. They were supposed to be off for this international window. They're, of course, going to be playing through it. They're going to be missing five players. Uh, Alex Roldan, Christian Roldan, Javi Arriaga, Nuhu, and uh, Raul Ruiz Rui Diaz, who may not have been healthy anyway. Uh, but they're going to be missing five players for this game. And yet I look at the lineup permutations and there's a lot to like, there's a lot of good options. I think like, this is like, I, I don't know that there's like just an obvious uh, group that they have to start because they have, they have some good options. Uh, the white caps who it should be said are playing a lot better than the last, than the last time the Sounders faced them. Uh, but they'll be without goalkeeper, Maxime uh, Crepeau and, uh, and who's the other? Oh, Lucas, Lucas Cavallini, who's no like their DP, but not even starting for them anymore. That's that's Brian White, who is absolutely playing out of his mind right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting game. Uh, the Whitecaps, I, if I recall correctly, they uh, they gave the Sounders all they could handle um, in the last meeting in yeah. Seattle. Uh, Sounders had to come back to two. High, um, and so the fact that they're playing um, you know much better now is obviously going to give the Sounders cause for concern, uh, considering the absences. I think uh, you know anybody will say that the Sounders are getting the worst end of it um, than uh, Vancouver is certainly. Um, but I think with with talent level um, on talent level alone, even with what the Sounders have left, they still have enough to get the win, particularly at home. Um, even though it's obviously not a short trip uh, or long trip from Vancouver, uh, but. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they kind of line up as. I, I assume they'll be in a similar uh, you know, box formation uh, with uh, with the absences that they have. They are going to be very light at center back, so that's a problem. Um, they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have uh, Yaimar, uh, O'Neill, and A.B. Sissoko, and that's it. Um, I guess Atencio can obviously go back there too, but I still think they have enough to get a win, and obviously there's Cascadia Cup uh, ramifications um, at play here as well. Uh, uh, that first meeting didn't count, and I think the Sounders are behind on tiebreaker. Or actually, I think that Portland beat Vancouver, so they've got uh, extra points, but they played a game more. So Sounders will need this uh, to to keep the Cascadia Cup. I think if they went out, then they essentially keep the cup um, unless there's some insane goal differential. But, uh, yeah, a lot to play for this week uh, weekend, and certainly the Sounders, uh, they'll, they'll be up for it because they know uh, what's at stake both in the Western Conference and uh, with the uh, with the cup, cup on the line. Are we going to get some short-term call-ups, Jeremiah? Because we mentioned the five guys away on international duty. Jordan and Jordy are both still out. Uh, Brad, Smith is almost, almost, Brad Smith is almost certainly out. Nico's still out. And, God, that's um, a good question. Other than Nico I might be out. To get one. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. They, 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 might, they might be eligible for one. They'd have to be below 16, though, wouldn't they? Or is it even 15? I, I well, have a, nine I, outfield players down. Uh, well, I'll be, I'll, I'd have to sit down and I haven't yeah, run I those numbers have, we're, yet. We're all going to just uh, look at math and rosters for uh, as soon as we, hang yeah, up. yeah. I, I, I think they're, the, I think they're going to be at the spot where they might need one or be eligible for one. They might not do it because they've played with a short bench frequently this season. Well, they'll probably be playing but, with a short bench regardless. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's because they have four keepers so they have four MLS goalkeepers on the. It roster. looks like they Those have. Thir- count. I think they have. They'll have thirteen or fourteen player outfield players eligible, depending yep. on Brad Smith and Nico Benize. Uh, so they could have as many as as uh, as fifteen, 15. which but would they make can be as low as 13. thirteen. Exactly. So yeah, they might so at be fifteen. They for- get zero at thirteen. They get two. 
Right. Yeah. So that would be, that's an interesting, that's an interesting question. Uh, That'll be problematic because Defiance have a home game at seven. (laughs) Well, uh, they, so they, so they can't call up Sam and Dennerin. I don't think they can call up Alex Villanueva. No, his one minute uh, appearances, uh, two one minute appearances can't call up Obed Vargas either. Right. So of the guys that they previously called up, you're looking at Juan Alvarez, who they may or may not want to call up for this one. And I guess they, they probably have, I mean, there's plenty of players that would be uh, potentially interesting call-ups, but yeah, it's a, it'll be, a, it'll be a, maybe. what was that? One of the center backs, maybe. Yeah. Maybe like a Tom Bruett or something like that. They could potentially call up, but yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm interested in the game. It'll be you know it's a damn it's a shame that it's being played during the international break. But I I actually think weirdly that the Sounders might prefer that. Like it like they're in a form right now that to me suggests it's better to just keep playing. And if you can and they and they have a few spaced out games. You know I I know there's been this sort of idea going around that uh, by advancing so far in League's Cup that they were going to have to play two games a week for the rest of the season. That's not actually true. They act, they have not only do they have a week off between this game and their next, or almost a week off between this one and their next one, but they have another week off uh, until the the game after that. So right now is there's a little bit of a lull in the schedule. I think it works out fine for them to to keep playing. Uh, you know, of course, that we'll we'll see how that ends up working out. But before we we get out of here, I did want to mention that uh, before the game. The Sounders read a statement uh, about the NWSL, the whole situation that's going on the NWSL right now. Uh, There was also statements put out on Twitter by Steph Fry and Christian Roldan. Uh, I was, I thought it was a genuine show of solidarity in that. I thought that was uh, the nice thing about it is especially from the players, you know, Dave mentioned this is that those really felt like they were, they came out of them. Like it wasn't a, it, it wasn't like their PR person, put it out there for them. Like these were statements that the players made on their own behalf. Uh, the team statement I thought was, was good. Uh, I don't know. Do we, is it, is it worth reading into the, the record, if you will, what, what was said? This one was what, this is what Steph Fry said. He says, as we learn more about the shocking behavior of now former coach Paul Riley in the NWSL, I personally feel that the lack of actions when players first shared these troubling allegations with the commissioner, as well as the incomprehensible process that protected and further enabled someone with a record of abuse is disgusting. Everyone that was involved in this and chose to cover up rather than protect players shame on you. You neglected your biggest responsibility. And for that, there needs to be consequences, be part of the problem or be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And Christian Roldan had a, had a similar statement, although different. Uh, I thought I had it up and I don't, I will find it very shortly. I have Christians. Oh, you you want to you want to read Christians? Yeah, Christians says the actions of Paul Riley, as well as those who enabled and covered up his behavior, are shocking and grotesque. That type of abuse cannot be tolerated in any situation, let alone from someone charged with leading a group of women. Decisive and meaningful action is necessary, and the guilty parties involved should be ashamed of themselves. Be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Christian Roldan. And I thought. What I liked about that is that there is a call to action, as you would at the end. I'm sure there was some coordination on that particular call to action. Uh, it is something that we should kind of, I think at the very least, it opens our eyes to a lot of the problems that are going on in 
in women's sports specifically, but I think probably in youth sports in general and, and probably even in high level male sports too. Like there's a lot of this sort of like, it's not all the same kind of abuse, but there is similar types of abuse that are going on. Uh, and it's something that we should be very aware of. Uh, and in the NWSL, especially, you know, I hope that it, that we get to a better place where it's not just, you know, you know, I think the thing that was so concerning about what happened, especially in the Paul Riley situation was that, you know, even if you take at face value that he was fired in part because of uh, the allegations against him, those, it didn't stop him from getting another job five months later. And, and he, presumably he was allowed to keep doing those things for the last, you know, five or six years. Uh, that's obviously the kind of thing that we need to stop from happening. Uh, the rain had a, I, I, I hesitate to say a similar situation, but uh, their head coach was fired after making some uh, remarks to players. And the rain also did not kind of publicly get out in front of it and say like, this is why we fired him. They sort of gave him the, the perfunctory uh, thanks for your service sort of farewell on a di- that was on a very different level, I think, than what happened in, in, in with Paul Riley. But it was, I think what was frustrating to me about what happened with the, the rain situation was that these were similar allegations that had been levied against him before, and that didn't stop him from getting hired. And so I would like to think that hopefully we can learn from this. And if these, if coaches have patterns of behavior that we stop that pattern by not hiring them again. Richie Burke. Yeah, and- uh, obviously him getting another job or them kind of ushering uh, these guys out uh, without really bringing the allegations to light. Um, obviously the inter- attorney in me understands kind of why they do that. Um, and there are legitimate business reasons and legal reasons to do so, but that doesn't make it right. I think just, uh, just Fishlock uh, spoke to that basically saying they understood why these uh, guys were let go with kind of just the thanks for your service as opposed to these guys are creeps and uh, should not be working in um, any, you know, any realm of uh, professional sports or, e- or amateur sports or, or youth sports for that matter. So going forward, uh, hopefully there's some changes that are made to kind of how these things um, are brought to light. Obviously, going forward, you know, just based on my kind of background, uh, I'm interested to see where these investigations go. Uh, the U.S. soccer hired Sally Yates, which is kind of an ears perk up moment. Uh, um, if you know who Sally Yates is, uh, she is certainly an impressive individual and certainly will get to the bottom of this um, from, you know, you know, from the U.S. soccer's perspective. They are kind of the uh, the uh, the principal's office, as it were. And so they're by and large going to be the ones that have to mete out any, you know, discipline or punishment um, to the teams or the NS, uh, NWSL generally. Um, and then you've got obviously the teams, you know, the league doing its own investigation. That's a little more concerning if that was where it stopped. Unfortunately uh, it's not because they do have a self-interest in uh, making things um, look as good as possible. Um and so, you know, I'm, I'm a little worried uh, about where the NWSL goes from here, just generally speaking, um, because, you know, this is a league that has made great strides, but still struggles, um, both on the financial and relevance uh, side. And, you know, some of that is just soccer in the United States, uh, you know, just you know, that's kind of how it is. But just from the financial uh, wherewithal of these owners to stick through this, especially as some of them are implicated in 
uh, these wrongdoings just, you know, makes me worry a little bit. You know, I've seen it speculated that this could actually sink the NWSL. And I I think I've I've even heard it speculated that maybe it would be good if it sunk the NWSL and they sort of started over from scratch. I, I did want to push back against that a little bit in that there's already a pretty good infrastructure there. These owners, at the very least, have sellable assets. I would like to think that, worst case, these owners that are considered bad actors in this are forced to sell and everything that I've seen appears that there are willing buyers out there. This is not like a situation where, where the NWSL is begging people to, to buy teams. You know, we just saw angel city start up uh, from scratch. We saw Kansas city reacquire the Utah team. Essentially. Uh, I think there's every reason to believe that there are willing investors and I would like to think there's willing investors who are going to be better actors in this and are willing to kind of change the, the, the systemic problems that are going on at the NWSL. And there's already a lot of positive things going on from a structural standpoint with the league. And hopefully this, the end result of this is that it, we end up with a better, stronger NWSL and not a and not starting over again from scratch because this is obviously yeah. the third professional league, women's soccer league that we've had, uh, and this is the one, the oldest one at this point. It's the one that seems to have the the you know has the most promising uh, future, and so I would like to think that we can, as a soccer community, salvage this and actually have it be a better situation for everyone. Yeah, I think there's going to be every effort to basically weed out the bad actors um, and, you know, basically you know, make sure that the league comes out stronger. You know, you know, my, you know, my worries aside, there's no appetite to end the NWSL if it can be helped for sure. So hopefully they're able to do what needs to be done um, and are able to, as I said, weed out those bad actors and get new investors in. And I think the league will obviously be stronger for it. It'd help if they get a CBA in place as well and you know, codify some of those safeguards. Um, and so that would be you know, a good first step is to, get that, is to get that done while these investigations are going on. Yeah, I think that's probably a good place to, to call it. Uh, really appreciate you guys uh, talking about all this. And uh, hopefully we have more positive things to talk about Uh, the next time we get together. Uh, But on that note, I am Jeremiah O'Shan signing off on behalf of Mickey Turner, Dave Clark, and Beth Mantle. Uh, We will catch you next time.